guys. Yeah. What's up, yeah. dude? Can you hear me? Yeah, perfect. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. You having a good holiday Just season? the world go by. Yeah, nothing too crazy. Are you Iced in at the moment for the most yeah, part? Yeah, you're in Knoxville. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, we're having a little bit of a little bit of inclement. It's not even that much. It's just the ice isn't melting. Uh, so, yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. That used to be the worst part when I was in upstate New York. It was like a snowfall meant like three to four days, not even thinking about it. And I was just like, this, there's no sun there. It's overcast 270 days yeah, out of yeah, the year. Yeah. So ice just all winter. It's, it, oh man, it makes me like sick thinking about it, but. <laughs> man i appreciate you sitting down to do this uh this is a yeah yeah no worries yeah so really these all started around just patrick who you know wally um really just us sharing our experiences as cyclists mostly we get a lot of like cat three through fives who tune in and pick up tips and tricks and so i've just reached out to other people who have you've gone way beyond cat three four or five um so i think uh you know, in keeping that in mind, I'd love to, I've got a few quick, short questions. And then I'd love to talk about kind of the road to racing in Europe. And you've been in Europe multiple times over multiple different seasons. And then obviously, I'm sure everyone knows kind of like your story of like ups and downs. And, you know, I've read different articles and interviews you've done. And that was one thing that I remember reading. It was on your blog, maybe in 2018, what you said, and we'll get to that. But I was like, dude, this guy's awesome. Like, I became a huge Stephen Bassett fan from, like, your mindset. Um, yeah, yeah. And then just finish off with a few questions. Some I've actually stolen from Tim Ferriss that he uses in his book called Tribe of Mentors. Just about, like, maybe favorite failures, uh, you know, some goals you have. And, and we'll wrap it up from there if that sounds good to you. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Cool. Well, first off, introduce yourself to the people. Who's Stephen Bassett? Hey, I'm Stephen Bassett. Um, I'm a cyclist for Rally Cycling. I've been racing for, at this point, 15 years. And uh, yeah, I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. And you're 25? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, 25. Old man in the sport. Old <laughs> in the pro world of the sport, but we'll say that. So Yeah. Right. yeah. Some, some quick hitting questions for you. Uh, white socks or black? I'm kind of a black sock guy. It's so, we have so much like moisture here that the white socks, it's, it's always taken a gamble, Dude, but definitely so... for the race day, a, a nice white sock is okay. a freshie. A freshie. Okay. I like it. Uh, Shimano, SRAM or Campy? Uh, SRAM. Yep. Okay. Long bib shorts, like the newer, I don't want to say newer, but like down by the knee or the shorter. And it doesn't have to be Volkler short, but you know the difference. Yeah, I'm definitely a long, a long bibber, but I think that's just because I'm so lanky. It makes me look less, uh, less like an inflatable <laughs> tube, man. It's kind of, it kind of is proportional. Um, but yeah, I definitely have trouble with like, especially the jerseys. I just have this tiny, tiny little torso, kind of like a, like a, you know, like you stuck a bunch of toothpicks in like a, in a tomato or something. It's kind of <laughs> this strangely uh, spider build. I've always done shorter bibs because of that reason, just being tall. Like that's just how they came out. And so I'm trying uh, on this new order we're doing, I'm trying a long one. So I'm pumped for that. Um, favorite intervals to do. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if these are my favorite feeling, but what I think is the most effective is I do a, a ton of just like probably 
some like zone three, pretty basic. And then you stack as on top of that, you stack some over under. So you'll do 10 minutes zone three, and then like five minutes of five minutes of 40 twenties, five minutes of 20 forties, not all consecutively, but as, as different variations, that seems to be the most race specific thing that I found. And, uh, yeah. So it cut, it cut out for a quick second. So you do 10 minutes of tempo. And then what is it you do when you say over under is just like, when you say 40, 20 people are now like, are you going all out 40 seconds and then total coast 20 seconds? Or are you doing like over under meaning VO two max tempo? Yeah. So uh, definitely more binary on and off. So okay. definitely more of, you know, not full, full, but but quite hard for, for whatever the duration is 20, 30 or 40 seconds. Okay. And um, yeah, just, just getting that race rhythm is so important. And then, yeah, I think some people like to, you know, kind of keep on the gas in between, but I think it's more, I mean, you're not training to recover, you're training to go hard. Mm -hmm. So definitely more of a trying to maximize the on time. And then the off time is all just, trying to get back to getting a good on you know mm -hmm. where in races see i hate doing those and i'm if i'm like gonna yeah. get hard i'm gonna do vo2 max i'd rather suffer through like a three to five minute interval what and i find those more race specific for me what in races like is it just the actual intensity of like how bad the on off hurts as opposed to like race specificity or do you see something in races where you're like man, those really helped me out. Yeah, I think just uh, for me, the race rhythm is so much more on and off with, especially with draft, like I never draft when I train. So, mm -hmm. so in the race, there's so much time where it's just, you're way over and then you're kind of back in the wheels, you're way over kind of back mm -hmm. in the wheels. Okay. So that seems to, to work. Um, I mean, it's kind of different too, depending on where you're racing. Like uh the american racing is more more about like one you know one big effort at the end where the european racing seems to be more repeatability so it's a bit of training to the demands of the sport but also so much of racing is making selection making selection being there at the end so that kind of seems to be what works for me and making sure i can make the group and be able to operate out of it mm. So what do you think is the difference between the American and the European racing? Is it the style of everyone and how they race? Or is it just when you're in Europe or you're racing much faster people? Yeah, I've, th I've thought a ton about this. Um, so some of it is the, the overall level is higher. So, you know, in America, there might be like five guys that at a, at a national level race where I'm like, these are kind of the five and there there'll be, 70 guys that are that level so the the field is just so deep that it, it changes because the the overall speed is higher mm -hmm. but then kind of the demands of the race are different just because of the they definitely do longer races that tend to be harder for a longer period of time so it's a lot about like can you make it you know can you make four climbs instead of three mm -hmm. um but then you also just run into all there's so many kind of uh, not unknowns, but like these variables that, that change it. For example, like as rally, we, we can't position like quick step. So you can't position 
you don't get the respect to position your way through these turns and just the way the continent is laid out is so much like you know there's 10k of kind of rolling roads and then and then you go into a town basically every 10k is a town so every 10k is a pinch point with six corners and so if you're getting accordioned off the back through six corners it's like you're doing six accelerations that the quick step guys don't have to do because they can assert themselves at the front so you're also training to that demand of it's almost you can't you can't ride a perfect race you can't ride the minimal the minimal effort like you might be able to here so you have to almost over yeah you have to predict that you're going to have to ride harder than the than the top teams and sort of try to be ready to compensate for that as much as possible What's... yeah it's almost counterintuitive too because there's a lot of points where there's these pinch points and probably traditionally, like we're so used to criterium racing, you go, everyone's going as fast as they can. And that's how you assert position. But there, it, it totally, the racing dynamic is opposite where it's, you assert position, everyone at the front goes slow. And then if you're at the back, you're fully stopping. So it's, it's a totally opposite approach to mm -hmm. controlling the race because they know if they go slow, the slower they go, the harder it is. If they just cruise through, everyone can kind of cruise through without too much difficulty. So I don't even know that a lot of these Europeans, I'm not even sure that's like a, that's a conscious decision, but they've just done it for so long that they know that's what works. And so it's this, it's this strange scenario where you're like, we're, I mean, if it's really tight, you're stopping, like yeah. you're taking a foot out if you're in a hundredth wheel and then you're doing full 30 second sprint to get back on. And they know that up there. Right. So it's this strange dynamic that's playing out. Yeah. So the my next quick question was going to be, uh, are you more of, do you like being in the break all day or waiting for 5K to go? And I guess that's really like, uh, you kind of answer that with the type of racing that in the US, it is the last, like, you know, hopefully you make the, the all the selections. Um, but do you like riding in breaks? Are you really more like, eh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm super strong at the end. I'm going to really wait. And if the break stays away, so be it. Yeah, so I'm kind of in this this strange position where I'm not a field sprinter and I'm not, you know, a time trialist. So I don't want to, basically, I don't want a field sprint. My ideal scenario is, you know, the number in my head is like eight guys or less, 10 guys or That's like my sweet spot to operate out of because I've got a pretty good kick. So usually I'm trying to get into a move and then kind of nurse it towards the line doing as little as possible and then try to operate out of there in the last few Ks. And dude, finishing kick your, there's a video and I'm sure you probably saw it at Joe Martin last year. I want to say stage one where yeah, 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 dude, you're going ham on the pedals. Like I think your hands are, <laughs> you're on the flats on the top of the bars and just like, like it was, insane dude i'm like this guy's a robot like it was is that something that you have practiced because you were seated i think the whole time and yeah yeah other guys are standing like did you practice that type of thing just being like like what what was that that was incredible yeah i uh that one's funny i almost hit the the moto decided to check up in the corner so i almost hit the motorcycle <laughs> um but yeah it's like a ton of i do pretty well with the with the seated acceleration so 
uh, I have so many rides that just end with, yeah, five times 20 seconds seated acceleration, you know, under fatigue past 3000 kJs past 4000 kJs. So yeah, it's kind of, it's a different skill set. Um, totally. But I'm also just aware that I'm so gangly that every time I go out of the saddle, it's, it's quite a bit of extra watts of air resistance. And so if it's uphill, that's kind of okay. But then, you know, that scenario, we're going probably 50-ish K an hour. So it's, it's overall faster for me to just stay on the pedals, stay sort of hunkered down. So talking about the kilojoule deep type uh, intervals, and this is actually a good time to give a plug for your coach and let people know who your coach is and what their company is. Um, how often do you focus on intervals when you're fresh? Like, all right, Steven, go out, warm up, crank these out, as opposed to, okay, go ride endurance tempo for three hours, make sure at 3000 KJ and then do these intervals. And maybe do you see a difference in what you're doing when, and obviously this will depend on where in the season you are, but do you see trends or what kind of, what, what have you found to be beneficial with that? Yeah, so I've been working with Nate Wilson. He's catalyst coaching, and I guess he's he's mostly doing. Um, I'm not sure exactly. He's kind of a performance manager, equipment training guy for EF now. Oh, cool. Um, so that's mostly his job now. Awesome. But yeah, it's we've been doing a lot of a lot of yeah deep efforts, and then kind of the checkups, which would be maybe you do four minutes full gas at one hour and then you do four minutes full gas at hour four or five and kind of when we look at the how those changes we can kind of kind of gauge what we need to work on um so yeah i'm not always keeping not i'm not like okay i'm gonna get to 3000 kjs and then i'm gonna do these efforts but it seems to happen pretty organically um especially training in knoxville it's so much like okay, I'm going to ride between these two mountains or up and down mm -hmm. these mountains. And then you can kind of time it. It gives you that natural, natural break, natural recovery. And you kind of end up just stacking the KJs pretty organically, but always kind of aware of it. And I guess that's, that's one of my strengths as a rider is like, if I'm, if I'm in good shape and I've prepared properly, fueled properly, my sprint an hour, you know, my sprint at 10 minutes is pretty much the same as my sprint at five hours. I don't have, you know, yeah. terrific max power or anything. The, the strength is kind of the resilience to be able to reach into it deeper than, uh, deeper than some of the competition. Which is huge. I actually was like super happy when Tanner was talking about this because now that more and more people get WKO and, you know, I think it's awesome that so many people get in the data, they see their watts per kg chart and they're like, oh, well, I'm a cat too. And I'm like, well, okay, but that's a one-off effort. That's when you were fresh and you came off a rest day. Remember when you're going to do this in a race, you know, you're going to be at least if this is a cat four, you're like an hour and a half in, that's going to change. Once you upgrade, it's going to be three and a half hours and et cetera. And I think there was either Johnny Brown had, no, uh, yeah, Johnny Brown had said this or someone in an article had said it about him when he won uh, the national championship, like he's not a dude that's, you look at his Watts. It's not crazy. What's crazy is what he does at four hours, four and a half hours. And that's, it's hard in this like metric obsessed world of cycling that we've kind of gotten into that it's, you know, it's hard to always 
have people realize that like you got to be able to do stuff at the end if you really want to win if you really want to make those selections that you're talking about so it's great to hear someone like you say that so more and more people hear like even though you might have a crap sprint on paper like you might win out of eight guys like get yourself to those eight guys and figure and like go to that race and figure it out i think it sometimes turns people off They're like oh i'm not that strong i'm like you don't you're comparing you're not comparing apples to apples like give yourself a chance and keep training and get after it so um what's uh you so you'd mentioned strengths and weaknesses what do you think is a weakness of yours and i guess my follow-up to that would be how often do you feel like you want to work on those weaknesses maybe it's a sprint or you're just like ah it doesn't really affect my racing as much i'm going to double down and keep trying to crush my strengths and get better at those yeah, for me, the weakness is kind of these, these long, repeated, draggy climbs. So, yeah, if it's, if it's several just kind of kind of climbs yeah. of where you're, where you're just, just uncomfortable and you're like, oh, I've got four more of these. So, um, actually, yeah, sometimes when I'm racing, I'm like, I wish we would, I wish we would all just go hard and then we'd see what happened. Uh, I kind of hate the, uh, the draggy the draggy sub-maximal uh, climbs. So I do a bit of work on that. But yeah, it is kind of this, I think it depends on the type of rider you are. Because like, if you're a sprinter, you, <laughs> you don't need to do 20 minutes. You'll see it all the time right. when it's like, especially in the pros, like you can see um, the specificity. It's like these guys that are top end sprinters, they don't have to climb. They just have to finish races. They don't, they're never going to be good at these at these particular efforts they just have to be competent so kind of the more of a specialist you are the more you want to train your strengths and then yeah kind of like myself it's like well i'm i'm reasonable at everything so maybe the reason i need to get better at 20 minute climbs isn't to win a 20 minute climb it's to it's to survive them so i can make the the flat finish that follows you know and when that's um, a lot of survival that. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's a really good point for people to sort of how to look at themselves, how to characterize, what are you good at? What, how I always ask people, and even like, if I have a new athlete that comes, I'm like, how do you win? What do you tell me how you win? And then what, how do you lose? Like, what are the things that are just, you know, you're not going to win at? And then, okay, how do we play the probability game? How are you most likely going to win the most races and sort of train that way with the events you have coming up? I think that's the one tough thing is like now that gravel has really become popular and really, you know, some people now they're a cat four and they're used to doing a 30 minute race. Now they want to go race four hours. And I'm like, okay, so we got, there's two very different things going on here. Like let's got to focus at the end of the day. Um, yeah. So what's your favorite uh, pro race? Favorite pro race. Yeah, I, I think the, uh, in terms of, you know, what suits my strengths, I, I love these, these uh, kind of circuits with the repeated climb. Knoxville is a, is a great one um, where it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of a test of, uh, of survival and then, and then, but not so much that, uh, that a climber can just ride away. So I'm really trying to, you know, just widen my range. So I'm just, it's, it's kind of strange where I'm like, 
I'm trying to get faster at sprinting so I can sprint out of bigger. And then I'm trying to get faster at climbing so I can sprint out of smaller groups um, where I'm just always like, how do I make this selection? Um, mm -hmm. I don't really train that much for uh, like some people would train for, you know, 10 minutes of breakaway. It's like, that's, that's not me. It's all about how do I, how do I survive to make a small group to sprint out of that small group? That's awesome. What's, so then I guess the last one kind of leading from that, what do you think are some one or a couple top tips for newer cyclists or things that you wish you knew as, I mean, you progress very quickly, so it's um, going to be different, but you know, some athletes kind of kick around in like cat three, four for a while until they make the upgrade to one, two. And then it's really, I feel like more where racing really happens. You have more team dynamics and, I remember when I was a cat three and I did my first one, two, three race, like my head was spinning, like people were attacking and there's like all this stuff going on that didn't, that I never even like saw in cat four. Um, what are some tips and things you wish you knew when you first started out? You're like, damn, that would have, that would have been helpful. And train, maybe racing yeah, one wise thing or that, training wise or nutrition wise, yeah. it could be, be anything. Uh, okay. So let's start with nutrition. It's uh, I feel like the, you know, the hot thing now is like, you know, fat, everybody wants to talk about fat burning. Just ignore fat burning. Yes, just dude. Eat more, eat more carbs. Um, it's like, that's, that's the first thing is just put more, put more fuel in the tank, like more fuel, you'll go faster. It's, oh it's like God, a, yeah. it's a pretty simple equation. Um, then some of the things it's like, we are so power meter focused um, that I think it can, it's like, sometimes you end up, you're like, oh, I can, I can do more Watts. And it's like, the goal is to do the least Watts. So sometimes you need to be, uh, maybe not right now with the, with the pandemic, but a lot of group rides where you are pushed, where you find like, how do you find that drafting pocket? How do you find it on the bike? Like, um, I know a lot of times when I'm in breakaway scenarios, every time I pull through, I'm doing the invisible arrow bars. Um, I'm doing that position because I know it, it cuts off and it cuts off at the, you know, when you're more over threshold, that top end where that really fatigues you, you know, if you can save 10% when you're at 450 versus 10% when you're cruising at 200, it's, it's, you find those little, those little spots to save. And uh, maybe that's something that I think we've made a lot of progress in finding, you know, there's so much Zwift, there's so much trainer, there's so much intervals, but it does, you're missing part of the equation and the, the aerodynamic portion is so important. And then, yeah, kind of, I think there's this thing of people don't always understand like how to measure that time over threshold. And it's like, that's what you really need to minimize in, in scenarios where you're trying to go fast. It's like keeping that as, keeping that as limited as possible that uh is kind of a acquired skill that's that's an outdoor real real world skill that takes a minute to develop man I, I feel like you were here this morning i was just uh talking with an athlete who with the indoor thing some people are like "Ooh, this interval session should i not go outside i'm like no go outside you need to learn how to control the watts and they're like, but I know I can do this. It was like a FTP four by 10. They're like, I know I can do this in on the trainer. I'm like, I know, but 
you, you need to learn how to ride hard outside. And of course they're newer with power. And it's like, the, I'm like, okay, see, let, now look at this. Like all these efforts, you're like surging and then you're coasting. Like you're just not used to using the gears because you're, you love erg mode, which I've asked you to take off because you just want to like pin it. And that's never going to be yeah, yeah. in your race, in your group ride, in like any event that you do outside. So as a great reminder to people, like, you know, we're training and we're getting more Watts, but you need to be able to control and use those Watts for the things that you're doing outside. So it's, yeah, I think, and the nutrition thing, man, that's like my, so many athletes just don't fuel enough. And um, yeah. while fat burning is a thing, that's like the cherry on the top. Like first worry about like getting your 90 grams of carbs an hour, like just get used to recovering and eating you know, the right way after the ride. And don't worry about the, like the little 1% gain you can make when fueling will give you 30% gain. Um, so yeah, those are awesome tips. I appreciate those. People will definitely benefit from that. So let's talk about the racing. I mean, I'm, I'm always, you have like just so much depth and experience already to where you are right now of you've been over to Europe three times, I think with, Hagenbermans and silver, or maybe it was when you were in Jamis. Uh, yeah, I've been, uh, yeah, I've kind of lost the uh, lost track. I don't know exactly how many times, but yeah, I've definitely been over. Um, I went over for cross as a junior and was a, yeah, not super good at cross, but then I've definitely been back with the national team and then, um, yeah, several times as a U23 with the national team. And then now with the rally, pretty much a full-time Euro, Euro dog. And so what do you think? So you kind of touched on some of the differences in racing there, but what are some of the things just in, you know, like the things that are different that we as amateurs and even, you know, maybe pros that are just stuck in the States doing crits. I mean, the traveling, you're in a totally different country. You don't speak the language. Um, what's that experience been like? And and when were you kind of, you know, you've had a, you know, different story of you hadn't, didn't just go to Europe and you were there forever. Like, ha, have you ever felt like, all right, I'm like, I'm full steam ahead. Like I, I'm, do you feel like you've made it to where you want to go or what's your big goal over there? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Cause none, there are, such a small percentage of cyclists that are ever going to get to where you are. And I think we're all kind of curious of just like, dude, what's this like right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Europe is, is a unique uh, kind of challenge. Cause I think for me, like I know what works for me is kind of building my dojo. And then it's, I build my, my space with my support system and my, you know, all my resources. And then, yeah, sometimes you get, you get tossed into Europe and all of a sudden you're, you're trying to reorient yourself. You're trying to find, find the training roads, find, find what to do. So it is kind of weird. So that's, that's sort of the next thing I'm trying to progress is basically, yeah, build the dojo in Europe where I feel like I have all my resources. I have the people, you know, if I need a physio, I found a physio, if I need a whatever, if I need the, the service course. So yeah, it's, it's unique. And I think some of the things that that like off the top, I wish I had known were more, even from when I started, it's like now there's so much available with Strava and routing. It's just like, mm. just, just spend time. Um, this is one thing I'm, I'm not good at is like, I just want to, you know, 
build a ride really quick, but some of the people I know that are on my team that, you know, they can spend time, look at the Google maps, check the road size, check, you know, check the Strava heat map, check where people are riding. And you can take out so much of this, like kind of distress on the ride where you, where you don't know where you can pre-plant, you know, it's really easy to do this when it's warm in the kitchen um, and you're, and you're planning your route versus, you know, it's 45 degrees and raining and you're lost in Belgium. So kind of do that work. Yeah. Make sure you have all of your, your things ready. Uh, like some of the super basic things, it's like, yeah, bring the big assay or bring a fender, like just do these little things, bring all your clothes, you know, where it's like these things you forget about. It's like, yeah, it can be cold in, in Belgium in, you know, October or whatever. Um, just small, like comforts that, that go a long way. Um, you know, what can you, what works for you at home? What can you bring with you? What do you need to refine in those scenarios? That's so interesting of, of like building your dojo there. I love that. And it's very, that's one thing I love about traveling. I wasn't racing. I was there for school in Belgium and I loved being like, I got there. I was like, all right, like who's got the best produce and where do I find this and where do I mail? Like, where's the post office? And so when I think about that in training terms, like even like you're saying, finding the roads, find, I'm like, I didn't even have, you know, I'm like, shoot, I need drink mix. I guess I can go to the bike shop and just all these little things you don't think of. And to try and be a high level performing athlete over there, there's just, I can only imagine the little, little things here and there. But with the Strava, another thing that I found is I'll find like, if there's a climb that I'm going to go do or a KOM, I'm going to see who's number one, two, and three. And then I'll click on their ride yeah. to see when they did that ride and see what the route is. And I'll even comment on some people's stuff like, Hey, I'm in the area. Uh, is this a good route? Like low traffic, da, da, da. And it's really amazing who you bump into and uh, yeah. Awesome online community. I love that. What's um, so for people that might not know. And so when you went from 2014 was your first year as U23 with Hagen Bermans. And then 2017, you're on Silver Pro Cycling. And that's when you're over in the U Europe and the US. And then you got injured 2018, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, end of 20, or I guess uh, end of 2017. Yeah. End of 2017. Okay. And then you had in your blog, and this is what I was referring to. Uh, you were kind of like, where do I go from here? I think you were probably like debating between like school and riding. And if people haven't read this, Steven says, in summary, I'm not a pro anymore. What am I? Someone who still has a passion for a hectic sport, travel and training. I'm excited to attempt a clean run at 2019 in the classroom and on two wheels. And there was another article where, I think it was a different article where you're really talking about like, sponsors don't owe you anything. Like this is just, what happened and here I am. And it was kind of seemed like coming off of the wave of when a lot of teams had folded in the U S there was an article on Velo news where there's other riders with the exact opposite attitude saying things like they really kind of felt like they were entitled to be a pro cyclist. And, you know, I've sold medical devices for a long time and there are things where like two companies merge and guess what? They don't keep two sales reps. They keep one. And sometimes you lose your job. And like, things change. And I just thought it was really refreshing to hear your attitude of like, all right, here I am. This is what I'm going to do. 
have you always been that way? Was there something that was like, were you like maybe thinking more like, all right, uh, what were you thinking? I mean, I think it's just a really awesome attitude to have. You weren't bitter, you weren't pissed off, or maybe you were and you didn't show it, but it like, I just, dude, I read that article. I was like, dude, this guy's awesome. And I think we had only crossed paths in races a couple times. And I knew you as more like, if you came to a race in Tennessee, we we're like, oh shit, Steven's here. But it, it was just really, I messaged Wally. I'm like, dude, this guy's awesome. Like, I hope we get to race against him at some point in time. Um, is that just who you are? Or what do you think of like this? I mean, it's a tough sport with cycling, like things change. And I just think you had such a good attitude about it, man. And that's why so much stuff that we'll talk about in the next year blew up for you. You're just a positive dude, it seems like. Is that just who Stephen Bassett is? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes and no. Like, um <laughs> It, it doesn't come for free. Like I kind of think of my, like I would probably describe myself as like a cockroach <laughs> that's, that cycling can't quite kill um, where, where uh, I feel like I've been stomped a lot of times by this sport, but kind of the, one of the things I'm really proud of is, is the ability to kind of keep crawling back and keep, uh, keep a bit of forward momentum, but it definitely doesn't come for free. Like I'm sure, you know, privately I had some bitterness over that, um, over that scenario, but I also had, um, I mean, First Internet Bank really threw me a lifeline to to keep me in the sport. They, you know, I reached out to Ryan Knapp, and um, I had several friends on the team, and they were like, "Yeah, we'll we'll do what it takes to um, to support you." And you know, I was able to talk them into doing some. I was I was like, ah, "Okay, I want to do Redlands," and they're like, "Fine, okay, we'll do Redlands." I want to do Winston Salem. They're like, "Okay, perfect." Um, so I kind of got lucky in that way, but yeah, that, that, uh, that optimism isn't, you know, it's not, uh, just, or, you know, it's not springing for free. It's definitely a lot of work to get there. And yeah, one of the things was like, you know, with that injury, um, it kind of, when I lost my coping mechanism of cycling, you know, I didn't ride for six, eight months. So it kind of put me in this place where I was like, okay, now I really have to tackle, tackle some of these demons and like um I kind of got into it like it's like what you know I think one of the things I'm good at is there's obstacles what are my obstacles what how do I how do I tackle these and so it was like I really started looking at myself and it was like uh I I don't feel comfortable what do I need to do to fix this so it's like I really had to dive into the bigger the bigger issues in my life like you know I started going to therapy and it's like Oh, I, I found out it's like, Oh, I have generalized anxiety disorder. Um, so I'm, I'm wired to be wound super tight and you, you take away, uh, you take away the dopamine you get from sports and all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we, it, you know, I don't want to say like rock bottom, but it's like, no, I wasn't a scenario. I was like, I can't, I can't live like this. So I need to figure out what's going on with me. That's, you know, bigger than cycling. What's, what are the things that I need to tackle? And so I've done, you know, a lot of work with that. Um, you know, finding the right medication that I think it's just bringing me back to a balance, you know? So I like to describe it as like, naturally I'm, I'm a tennis racket that's too tight. Um, and so we kind of have to figure out how to loosen those strings because it's like, you could see it even in the results, like for the, you know, the five years leading up, it's like every once in a while, I'd knock one out of the park. But for the most part, it was like a lot of, a lot of out of bounds, a lot of fouls, but 
you know, when you loosen those, those strings a bit and all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you have, you have a bit more control. You have some nuance in how you're seeing things and, and you're keeping things in the court all the time. So just finding those balances has been, you know, it's not easy, but I think those are, those are some of the things that beyond cycling are, are what I needed. Dude, I appreciate you sharing that. And that is a huge, I think, point for people trying to get to your level. And especially in maybe do you feel like you started getting those results and racing better when you've maybe there was less pressure? You're like, well, okay, I'm not a pro anymore. And and a lot of people get confused once once it gets to be like a, a amateur team, like first internet bank, it's the hitters of the hitters that are not pro that they probably could be, a, they could be a domestic team talent wise, for sure, obviously. Um, you know, and then there's like continental pro county, people get that confused. So I think if you're listening, you're like, well, I don't, what does this all mean? Like, he took a step down, which I think everyone in the cycling community that are racing, there's not, it's not a step down to go to first internet bank, you might not have the title. But it's like hit squad. There's I was trying to explain to my husband, Chris, when I was telling him who I was going to talk to today. And I'm like, well, and one thing is these guys went to amateur Nats and went one, two, three, which is like, you go to a local race and try to go one, two, three. You don't go to nationals and go one, two, three. When I saw that picture of you guys, we weren't there that year. And I was like, oh my God, what did they do to everybody? Like that is a beat, that is a beat down. And that is just, that is extremely tough to do. Um, but yeah, man, I think that's that's a really awesome to hear. It's really, you know, you got to take care of yourself. And do you think that led to just racing better? Or what do you think, how did keeping it in bounds, as you said, help the results more? Yeah, I think it it's definitely a thing of cycling is so, it's such a, you know, it's, it is a hierarchical sport where you're, everyone's trying to defend their position all the time, you know, where you get very defensive of, once I was letting go, okay, I'm a pro. And then it, it opened me up a little bit to where I was more focused on um, just getting the job done. And I felt like I really found a really good tribe with those guys. And I, I kind of like to use that word of tribe where it's like, this is your community. You feel supported. You feel like I gained so much confidence from those guys. They had confidence in me. I had confidence in them. And I felt so supported and not not competitive with each other um, to a way that I really just think that was an ideal scenario for performance. And, you know, it's, it's, it was such a special group and, and we, you know, I think some of the people look at those that year and they don't even see, it's like everybody, everybody was winning races. Mm -hmm. um, everybody on that team was winning multiple races and winning big races. So yeah, it was, it was a unique, uh, it felt like lightning in a bottle a little bit with that team. Um, and then, you know, I was in a place where I was ready to perform. They were in a place where they were ready to perform and it kind of all, all lined up for us. It is an interesting thing of how everyone, your teammates, you feed off each other. And I think that's even before you toe the line, you know, when you're getting ready, when everyone's confident, when everyone's ready to go out and I don't necessarily even like, say like play their role but are ready to just go race and i think a lot of people would agree you know like i always re reference like patrick or i've had a couple other teams in upstate new york that we just gelled so well that we weren't like okay here's your role today we just knew each other like 
you would know when, if you got pulled back, you knew when someone was going to counterattack. you knew what their move was. Like you could just, when you're gelled, it is just, everybody yeah. is performing. It feels so good. It's like, Oh my goodness. And um, yeah, you got, I mean, when you, when you left and then it's like Tanner and Johnny Purvis were joining the team. I'm like, God, well, they're not getting weaker. It's a huge loss to lose you, but <laughs> I'm sure they were super stoked for where you were going. And like 2019 Redlands, Joe Martin, Winston Salem crit. Uh, we'll jump past one that I have a question on then tour of Hakkaido, which are you, you have, is one of your parents Asian or are you part Japanese? Or I think I remember seeing something on Facebook about that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my grandma is Japanese. Yeah. So winning the stage uh, there, like not being corny, I mean, like back at the homeland, like something like that, but like you, it seemed like you had just posted something about that or you would post about it after the race. Like that had to have been super cool to, you know, you're, you're riding for this new team, joining them as like a guest spot and then winning a stage. Like, were you just like, what's going on? This is amazing. Yeah, it was, it was a uh, super weird where, I was pretty exhausted at that point in the season. I'd been training for 18 months straight. And it was like the, the first day, I think I was the last guy to make, a, to make the Peloton. Like I was, I was descending in the cars, like so fast, <laughs> just going 60 miles an hour in the caravan, trying to catch up. Um, so it was a pretty, pretty abrupt turn. Um, yeah, I was dropped. I think, uh, 30k from the line there was a hill and I was just like straight up dropped came back on the descent um it was one of these things too where I felt like again it's like pressure you know I'd had this uh this kind of build of like am I you know I think I'm gonna sign a pro contract I think I'm gonna sign a pro contract and then and then signed that and then there was this uh kind of unfortunately timed decompression at Utah where I was like I was just exhausted and I was like, well, you know what? Yeah. What am I fighting for now? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I wasn't good at that race. You know, I felt like I lost a bit of the motivation and the mojo and then to come back and it's like, yeah, nothing has changed. Um, but now it's like, I'm racing for fun and you know, I'm racing cause I like to race. So mm -hmm. it was kind of this adjustment where for, for two years I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm got to check this box, this box, this box. And I'm still enjoying it, but to go back to like fully, you know, there's no quote unquote, like gain from winning this race. There's no, this isn't a stepping stone. This is just a race I want to win. So that right. was a special experience. And to do it, to do it in the homeland was kind of neat. Well, I think that's a really good point for athletes, especially trying to upgrade because whenever I think back and I was like, okay, I got to get, you know, eight upgrade points at this race. And I got to go do this one. And I got a place here to get this. Like I never did well when I just raced and tried to focus on it being fun and enjoying the weekend. That's when the results always came, not putting this pressure on myself to like get five more points. So I can get my cat too. Um, so it's interesting to hear you have that, a similar like mindset, just like, all right, I'm just going to go out and rip it here in Japan. This is going to be super fun. And it, coming back after getting dropped, I mean, you know, it can be, I'm sure, even as you're at that level, like a little unnerving, like, oh God, this is going to be brutal. So what's jumping back then when uh, pro Nats, that race, like, I think everyone in Tennessee was screaming at the computer. What, how did, I mean, amazing finish. I'm sure you would have loved to have won that one, obviously, but how did you feel after the race? Like, un that last 
the end of the race. I mean, just tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of weird. Yeah. I found myself in the situation where I felt like I didn't, um, didn't set a foot wrong all day and was kind of had a plan of, it's kind of a weird course where the hill is, it's basically 10% of the course. It's like a 20 minute race and two minutes of that race is very decisive. And the other 18 minutes is not that hard. So it's all about, yeah, the, the four minutes before those two minutes, you have to be setting up, have to be putting yourself forward. Um, so it's this strange exercise in, in kind of having some confidence and exp you're expending energy. It's almost like you're banking positions before the hill mm -hmm. so that you can lose a few positions up the hill and save yourself. But yeah, I found it was like basically I turned around and everybody was gone because I was doing what I was doing the whole time of following what I thought was the, the moves. I, it wasn't like that lap was special. It mm -hmm. was uh, just kind of going through, going through the, the motions where, yeah, I'll go off on a little tangent here, but like so much of, so much of what I think helps in racing is, I mean, we're wired to, to tell ourselves stories and tell ourselves, you know, you know, this is the magical day. This is the romantic you know, everything, everything stars aligned. And it's like, that's, that's not what happens. You know, everything, yeah. A day you win a race is maybe a thing day that only 25% of things go wrong instead of 75. So just so much of just like having a pragmatism over, yeah, removing the emotion, you know, removing the story and just doing, doing the, doing the work in the moment, I think is so important, but yeah, getting back to the race, it's like, that's a good tangent, Bob. Uh, that, that's those yeah. that I like tangent whenever you want. Those are really good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the race, I felt like, you know, some of the moves I made in, in retrospect, maybe, uh, yeah, there was this moment where, you know, it was, it was still several K from the line and we we're going um, kind of down this false flat and Nielsen uh, palace attacked. And it was like, you know, the traditional thing was you would, you would jump on the wheel and drag Alex there, basically shut it down really quickly. And I took a kind of a calculated gamble of, of thinking I could, I was much more worried about um, Alex house than Nielsen in the sprint. So I took the gamble of trying to, I waited, let the gap open up and then punched it across and then got there. And uh, unfortunately I think Nielsen was a bit more gas than I was expecting. And so we kind of stalled out when uh, once we had the gap and allowed Alex to come back. So it was these things that maybe, you know, that part I don't think was a mistake where I was, I was taking a, taking a risk that I thought was likely to pay off or had better than better than not odds. So that part was really good. And then, yeah, we kind of got to, to we were cat and mousing and I didn't have a radio, but it was clear somebody was coming um, quite fast. Cause I think Ty Magner almost, almost made it across. So didn't want to, didn't want to cat and mouse too much. And so I kind of launched bitterly. And I think the one, the one thing I would do in hindsight was there is kind of a, a downhill into a sweeper. And I think I should have super tucked for just four seconds, four seconds, five seconds and unloaded the legs instead of keeping pedaling. But it's one of those things where you see it so many times where it's like, usually in those scenarios, like the first one, the first one doesn't work, you know, it's, 
it's that first real attack that where you really commit. And I just needed it. I needed those guys to look at each other for one second. And they, yeah. so they played it correctly. Um, and I, I mean, I've gone over this race a thousand times in my head. What could I have done differently? And it was like, basically I needed to a little bit longer, but it was also, uh, I was making these calculations that I think made sense. And then they didn't quite pan out. Still though, I mean, dude, it was an incredible race. And I think to see you there amongst, as the amateur amongst these hitters on world tour teams that we see more on TV was amazing. And really, you know, those calculations that you're talking about, you can only know how to make those split second decisions by racing a lot. I think it's a really good tip for newer cyclists that want to get into racing, learn racing. You know, they sometimes put down like, I'm going to go race four times this year. And I'm like, cool. That's what life allows you. That's great. But you're going to struggle versus the person who's going to race 15 times. Uh, the more you pin on the number, all these little things, even that you're talking about, like when you're trying to remake the dojo in Europe, it's like you make your little dojo at every race. Like I know, okay, I'm going to get here at this time. I have, it's going to take me this long to pin on my number. The bathroom's usually over there. I da, 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 da. And like, you've got your, you know, way to get ready for the race and so that's a good uh that race was incredible i mean to stand on the podium and see yourself with world tour riders were you maybe disappointed at not winning or you just like oh my god i can't believe like that finish and you had to have been proud standing up there yeah it was definitely um i think the uh I was definitely elated in the moment. And then I think some of the, the disappointment did creep in over time, but you know, it's, it's something I think about. And one of the things that's, that's really been, been key to me is just to look at it a bit more practically where, you know, we do have example. It's like, you know, again, romantically, it's like you win us pro you're 24. It's like, you're set You're you know, you're going to be world tour for forever. Um, where it's like, you know, I think in, in practical terms, it's like, yeah, winning us pro buys you two years. It buys you a two year contract. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I mean, we've seen it not, not that they, I mean, there's circumstances change, but we've seen plenty of times where, where guys win that race. And then two years later, they don't have, they don't have, uh, you know, a great contract or whatever. So, you know, to me, it's, it's good to, to break it down a bit more practically that, you know, that race, as, as important to me as it is, it's like, it's not the end of the world. And I'd like to have, you know, another 10, 15 years in this sport. And, and I think I can achieve a lot in that time. So it's not like it's over for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. What's your number one goal as a pro cyclist? Um, right now, what do you see as like, I really want to achieve this? Yeah, so I'm trying to win, you know, a mid-level race in Europe. That's really what I want to do of win, you know, a step up in those races where it's, it's not a huge, you know, I don't think I'm, you know, ready to win, you know, a huge race, but, you know, one of those stages of two, you know, tour of East Poland or whatever, whatever I can get to. Um, and it's, it's incredibly challenging. Like um, my friend and teammate Colin won a stage of Arctic tour of Norway and, we were talking about it. It's like, yeah, this is, this is 10 years of my life um, to get this. And so those, you know, I feel like I've, I've won now quite a few races at like the, you know, lower level UCI races. And, and now I think it's time to, to try to make that progression into winning at a bit bigger stage. 
There's a book called 10X and the guy, if you listen to it on Audible, he's, his voice is a little gruff. It, it, my husband hated when I was listening to it, but he really talks about take your goal and 10 exit. And a lot of it is, you know, whether you're talking about sales business, I mean, dude, I would say that sounds like an achievable goal for you. You should shoot even higher. Think even higher, read the cliff notes on that book. I'd be curious <laughs> if it changes your mindset on that. Um, do you have, what's a, maybe we kind of already touched on this. What's a favorite thing that in the time maybe seemed like a failure, but that ended up being a great thing in the long run. Well, there's, I mean, there's so many um, experiences probably in, in Europe where it was like, you're just blown out. You know, you're not finishing races. You're not, um, you're not doing well. And it's sometimes, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I think is the problem is uh, as we talk about the tribe and the dojo, it's like, sometimes I think it's important to kind of retreat to the cave, retreat to, to retreat to your family and, and kind of lick your wounds for a while. Um, so sometimes, yeah, in Europe, that's harder. You don't have, you don't have all your people around you. So it can, it can kind of spiral down quickly. So, so many of those trips, you come back and you're just crushed. And then you're like, okay, you know, I take, take a few days and then you start clawing your way back out of the hole. Um, where I can't think of a specific one per se, but no, I, mean, I like, like that. Yeah, when I was when I was 20 years old, it's like I basically busted my way onto the national, kind of bruised my way onto the national team via results, and then got to Lavenir, which is like, okay, yeah, this is sick. I've made it to the the biggest U23 race in the world, and it's like, yeah, I didn't finish. You know, I was blown out, um, not even close. Like, <laughs> it was the level high that uh, that sometimes you you get these weird reframing of perspective which I'll go off on another tangent here. Yes. Um, but that's, this is one of the things that I super, you know, as I was, if I was thinking about coaching a junior U23 or an up and comer, it's like do different levels of races. So I would love, you know, if I can, if I can do a perfect race plan for, for somebody, it would be 10 race days where 10 race days where you're smashing it. You're, you're winning, you know, every race, uh, 10 race days where you're, you're just barely in the mix and then 10 race where you're completely just what is happening i'm i'm dropped on the first climb and i think that getting that perspective of all levels of of success it's it's great and then sometimes i think that is the problem when people come into the sport and especially if you come in race super high level in europe it's like you just you just get your head kicked in for nine months mm -hmm. and so i think it is important to do you know go do your parking lot crit where mm -hmm. where maybe you're the best guy just to, you're constantly recalibrating yourself. And I think that's important to have a bit of balance in, in that aspect. That is super insightful. And I would, I think of times when, if I go to like a US, if it's like a pro amateur race and I go race with you guys and like continental teams, I'm like, God, this is a beat down. And you learn a lot from it. And you learn, I remember when I would, I just got my cat one and went up to Green Mountain. I think I was talking to somebody else about this. And I was super pumped because Ted King came to the race. So he's coming down to his like local race to just go race. He was with Cervelo then. And just being able to watch him and watch what you guys are doing at a higher level, being in a race like you talked about before, there's not just five good guys, there's now a hundred of them. And I mean, it's really, I think that's one thing that's been, 
a positive that I found in gravel is being able to go to some of these races with 10 dudes where I'm like, God, on paper, I stand no chance. Okay. How can I somehow hang on to the next selection? How can I get to the, okay, this year I made top 25. How can I get in the top 10? How can I get down to when those guys are really racing? And but still go to the local races. Like we all need to get a W we all need to feel that like, okay, I don't suck at this. I'm just not at their level yet. And so I think reframing and uh, recalibrating, as you said, is that's, that's an amazing tip. Constantly be recalibrating your perspective. And that's kind of like a life tip. I think it's that we could go off on life tangents on that. That's, that's a really good one. Um, my last question, ah, let me, I got two more for you. What's an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love to do? Ooh, um, I definitely- That you want, that you want to share on a Zoom call. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll do two. One of, them is, one of them is cycling related and one of them is, Perfect. is not, but uh, <laughs> um, my, little, uh, my little core glute activation exercises have gotten odd, odder and odder as I'm, as I'm trying to get more and more specific. So now I'm on top of a, of a balanced BOSU ball with the, the band around the knees doing these exercises. And I'm like, well, on Instagram, Sven is always holding the handlebars. So now I'm like, I'm like, well, I got to hold the bike. I got to hold the handlebars. So I'm holding the handlebars and kicking my booty out and doing all these things. I'm like, this, I'm like, well, you can't say I don't want it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. When did you start, when did you start doing band and like glute activation stuff? Yeah. So, uh, when I was a junior, this is actually, this is actually kind of a, I'll go off on another tangent, but I, we, again, successes and failures, you know, I made the cross worlds team and, uh, for the juniors in Louisville and then didn't finish the race, you know, lap. So then I was like, okay, I know nationals here. It ends on a 10 minute climb. What, you know, if there's a course for me, there's a, a race that ends on a climb. And so I went out and trained way too much for an 18 year old. It blew myself out in two weeks and ruined my knee and oh. uh, couldn't ride for three months. And so, you know, finally uh, found the right PT. I've been working with the PT a long time, West Franks in Knoxville and, you know, months of work, he straightened me out and, and, you know, I got second in that nationals kept in the sport, but, and then it was like, how come every year I have to go back for two weeks or, you know, a month until you finally, like, you're like, oh, I'm dumb. If I just do this right. every day, it's like so much of the sport is doing boring stuff where, I mean, I, I start thinking about the, the time I spend doing this stuff sometimes where it's like, I could easily on a day that I, I ride four hours, I could easily spend, you know, an hour plus doing preventative maintenance Mm -hmm. where before the ride, I'm doing the booty band and I have my, you know, exercises that I know work for me. It takes 20 minutes. And then post ride, I'm doing 20 minutes of foam rolling, 20 minutes of stretching, you know, and you kind of just learn. It's like, it's just easier to do the work. It's easier to, to put in the prevention than to try and fix it later. And it's, I don't know if there's an easy way to learn that lesson, except for, except for failure of, you know, it's like every year my knee starts hurting mid season and it's like, well, yeah, you didn't do anything. So it wouldn't hurt. 
Dude, I'm sitting. Yeah, here our like, bodies God. aren't aren't built for this. Yeah, it's such an imbalanced sport. Like sitting here like this, and it wasn't until as I laugh again, as you said, you're an old man in the sport. When I got to 35, it was I was starting to just get weirder, like kinks and just things not flowing right. And I would same thing. I like, oh, these band exercises work great, and then I'd be like, I'm fixed, and then I'd stop and be like, oh, I got to do those bands again. And now it's just like. And even if I don't do bands, just doing the movements, like if I'm making coffee, I'm like, you know, doing a glute activation, like there's just random little times where I'm like, this would be weird to like watch a video of me throughout the day, like just doing random like leg movements, just trying to like stay loose and limber. And especially on those days when I'm not riding, like, okay, I'm going to spend half an hour and do this while I'm listening to this podcast and getting questions ready for Stephen Bassett or something like that. So that's, um, that is good. That's good. And then what's the sec? What's the non-bike one? Oh yeah, some of my some of my interests are, um, yeah. A lot of people are into like true crime, so I'm into true crime podcasts. But then I have like a niche within that where I'm like, I probably have like two to three separate podcasts about cult leaders. That it just I'm just like I don't know why this is so fascinating, but just. It, that's one of the things I'm super interested in, like going down these weird Wikipedia holes about that <laughs> stuff. I don't know why, uh, but something about the like, yeah, it's it's something interesting with like the desire to change your life and how far people will go. And then it's like, well, yeah, you can you can change your life without necessarily joining a cult. You can do your own thing. Um, maybe that's what that's what I'm drawn to is the appeal of trying to. To radically change things fair enough all right i like that what's then we'll end it with a training question um what do you think that and maybe it's nothing but have you changed anything in the past couple years or year or two that you wish you had knew, thought of before or something that you're like oh man i wish i knew how well this worked now i'm gonna i wish i'd done that earlier yeah yeah this is a big one that um I've worked with Nate a lot to kind of, I mean, he's constantly drilling this in of like consistency, 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 where um, I don't, I, I was thinking about how to describe it the other day, like a little, a lot of good is better than a little bit of perfect where so much of my training is, you know, I think when I was a junior, I, it's like, you always want to do these like benchmark workouts where I would, you know, I would want to go out and just set 10 minute power record. It was like, all I'm doing is trying to build my 10 minute power record um, where, I mean, it's like that kind of work. I mean, kind of works um, until it doesn't. And so, so much is just, you finally like kind of feel where you, you're, you feel like you can get the ball rolling, you know what you need to do. And it's like, it doesn't have to feel great every day. It doesn't have to feel, you know, terrific. It's not, um, it's not flashy. And it's like, it's the same thing in racing. It's like, it rarely, rarely, even when you win, it's like, did it, did it feel easy? It's like, probably not. It's, mm -mm. it's probably you, you clawed your way there and then we're able to finish it off. Um, so that's the biggest, that's one of the biggest things I've learned working with him is just, you know, we build these nice ramps. We build steadily, do the work, try to be consistent, adjust when we need to don't, I mean, so I can't tell you how many times I'm texting with my coach a week, like, you know, yeah, it's going to, it's going to pour rain all day Thursday. So we need to move this ride to Wednesday, just being, yeah, being adapted. 
comfortable and not getting hung up on the small details of like, uh, yeah, it's an easy one. Like say you go motor pacing. That's, that's an easy workout to feel bad on. Like what's going to feel good, you know, setting a power record, like, you know, drive, you know, being able to hold on at 65 K an hour. It's like, it's, it's very rare that, uh, you know, the benchmarks get you what you want to need to be adaptable and, and kind of see, have the self. Yeah. One of the big things is like self-efficacy. Like you have to have belief that you can change what's happening, you know? And I think that's, again, again, it's like, I think that's one of the things in defensive cycling is so many people, I mean, there becomes, as you get higher and higher, there becomes this fear of like, well, if I, if I do, if I change things and it doesn't work, I'm going to feel bad. So I'm not going to change things. And it's like, I mean, that's, that is an approach. That's Mm -hmm. something you could do, but so much of it, I think is, is finding, you know, what's standing in my way of getting to where I want to be. How can I, you know, negate that problem? You know, how can I fix my knee? How can I fix my threshold climbing? How can I improve my sprint? How can I improve my aerodynamics and um, breaking it down into these small pieces, you know, like almost cycling is too big to handle all at once. I think, dude. Um, So it's, uh, yeah. One of the other things I got, like um, when I was like 19 or 20, my dad set me up with, he works with a, an Olympic pole vaulting coach. So not, not cycling at all, but just a professional sports coach that, Mm -hmm. Uh, his name's Jim B. Miller. He's coached, you know, gold medal, silver medal, pole vault Olympics. He's, he is the coach for pole vaulting. Like people move to our city to work with him. And my dad set me up with him. And, you know, the first thing, like, you know, build your support system, build, yeah, build, (laughs) build your, you know, who do you need to get your head on? Right. Who do you need to get your nutrition? Right. Who do you need to get your training? Right. And it's like, you just kind of trying to put the puzzle together in a way that, you know, it's never, it's never perfect, but trying to get these pieces closer and closer to where you want and, uh, and kind of getting the consistency, getting the robustness in your training where you feel like it's, it's close enough. And it's like, it's never perfect. Is it, when is it good enough? When is it good enough to win the race? Yes. You know? Dude, it's so many, I, I hope people rewind and re-listen to what all of what he just said because it's amazing. Cycling is so huge. And I think, I mean, I, there are people that, you know, I'll talk to and they're maybe like 18 months in their cycling career. And they're like, well, I want to do this like you've been doing. And I'm like, well, dude, I've, I think on Strava, I have like 130,000 miles. Like I just have more experience and I'm still trying to figure this all out. Like this, this sport is a lifestyle and it kind of threads back to when you're talking about, okay, well, I need to do this off the bike maintenance. And then I need to do the nutrition. And then I need to look inside and ask myself, what's, what am I not vibing with in my day-to-day life? That's not even cycling related. Okay. I'm an anxious person. And what's like, it's just this huge endurance sports. I feel like it is. Cause I never really had this feeling about sport when I was doing volleyball or basketball or soccer. And then luckily cycling came into my life, which is hands down. I wish I'd been doing endurance sports my whole life, but it is, it's like, I forget even how we, um, this came up in a conversation when we're saying like cycling like it's a lifestyle figure it out because it's going to be different for everyone else because your life might be a c-level executive and your 
racing on the weekends and you have a family that that lifestyle bubble is going to be a little bit different than the 22 year old who's also trying to finish college and racing with his buddies and has his group and da, da, da. but it's like it can become this all-encompassing thing but as you find ways to be just good enough in this little section just good enough in this section you start to find success and it snowballs and it steamrolls and it's People will ask me sometimes online, like, what's your, someone will email me, what's your like coaching, coaching methodology? How do you approach training? And so I've started to put out some bullet points, like things that I feel are really important pillars to find success in the sport. And number one is consistency, like go out and do work. And, you know, people, when they fail a workout, you always get the guy who's like, you know, he might've been targeting 300 Watts and he hits 297. He's like, I freaking missed it. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're missing the ball here. And I get, I love the drive, but it's just go do the work. And if you go out and you have a threshold workout and you're just, it's not working, don't go home, just ride endurance. That's going to make you faster than not riding at all. And so like, seriously everybody go back and listen to what he just said because that's like not only motivation it's inspiration it's like how to keep this thing going and growing and as much as you've been racing don't you feel like there's still so much that you're going to learn and pick up on not only from other athletes that you're interacting with as you continue to grow in the sport but your own personal growth and like just uh i don't think wherever yeah exactly yeah yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the goal is you keep, uh, you keep adapting. And it's like, I mean, one of the, the constant things I like to do is like, look, look back on where you were two years ago, five years ago. And it's like, man, I'm a completely different person. I'm a completely different rider. How I approach everything has changed. So it's like, it gives me a lot of hope that, you know, in five years I can look back and feel the same way that I've changed a lot and things have progressed. And I think, yeah, it's, I notice a lot of things that I've changed. Even this year, I only raced 17 days because of the pandemic, but it's like a lot of, a lot of mindset shifts, a lot of things that, that can improve. And I think one thing that you hit on that was really important is like the individual nature of all this. There is no, there is no checklist for, you know, a rider. Mm -hmm. Like I think about that a lot where it's like, you look at some of these riders that I think are much more naturally talented than me. And it's like, if I do their training plan, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's not a, it doesn't improve. It doesn't, you know, if somebody's a natural, like I don't consider myself a natural athlete. I'm a, I'm somebody who's crafted their way into bike racing. I'm not, I can't throw a ball. I don't have a natural, you know, it's like, maybe I have, okay, pretty good VO two max, you know, off the couch but I don't have a lot going for me in a lot of ways. So it's so much like cycling is this thing where you have so much that you can improve. You can improve your bike. You can improve your equipment. You can improve the way you tackle. You, there's so much you can do um, no matter what physicality you start with. And there's no hiding. There's no, you got to do the work, you know, it's like, it's even if you, you know, say you go sit on the couch for six months, you go and race a bunch of cat ones who are like in their prime, you're going to have a tough day. It's like, you got to be ready to show up day in, day out, do the work, find the way that works with you. 
Dude, this was incredible, man. You dropped like so many really good points. And I think being able to give the insight from someone who's, I think really has a really level head of where you've been, where you want to go, where this journey's taking you. And like, I think everyone who sees it is going to be super excited to see what the 2021 season has in store for you. I know I am. I know every Tennessee cyclist is. So uh, Stephen, man, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This was it's going to be super, be- it was really beneficial for me. I was like super pumped. I'm pumped to talk to everybody that comes on this because I always pick up some gem and obviously I get to like pick the questions or just the questions that I want to ask this person, but this is going to be super helpful for so many people. So thank you, my man. I look forward to yeah, uh, thanks for having me. seeing what you do and hopefully we cross paths that um, I'm trying to think of like what race might be out in Knoxville when you're not in Europe, but I'm sure we'll cross paths one of these days on the bike. I look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Cool, man. All right, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I wish you some warm weather that way. Yeah, you too. Yeah. I'll talk to you later. See See ya.